You're listening to The Life of Tri. It's triathlon for your ears. Peter Cropko podcast studio. This is the life of Tri. Phil Rockner and Kevin McKinnon paddling this triathlon canoe this evening or this morning for Kevin. Kevin, uh, welcome, buddy. Thank you. Yes, it's uh, oh dark thirty again. I have to coach <laughs> swimming on, at six a.m. on Wednesday morning, so that means I have to do this at four thirty or no, I guess it's four forty-five now. It feels early anyway. It's my turn to whine. Normally, it's you complaining about something. No, I've got nothing. It's been a hot day here in uh, in Melbourne town. We had 30, 30 something today, thirty something tomorrow, thirty something Friday. So the uh, weather here is certainly taking a turn for the hot. Hey, you know how, what was crazy here? It went up to uh, over ten degrees on Sunday, <laughs> um, like just nutty. We were so cold a few weeks back. And uh, now it's so warm again. Uh, the wonderful uh, guys from the magazine, our publisher, um, Sam, and our editorial director, Dave, took us all cross-country skiing on Monday. So I have absolutely nothing to complain about other than I got up early. Nice. And we are talking triathlon and all things around the sport, so why wouldn't you be uh, happy doing that? Kevin, Leslie Patterson, my God, what a... What a mind blow that is. If you don't know, um, way back when, and we're going to go back a few years now, I met her at the K-Swiss Trek training camp in Kona. Um, I was sitting in my office in Melbourne and running first off the bike, and I get an email saying, would you like to come to a training camp? And we all, well, a bunch of us got flown out to hang out with the K-Swiss Trek team. were you on that trip? I was not. Nope. Um, I must have been persona non grata. I would have no. been <laughs> at, at that time. So, well, I think Simon Thompson too, the uh, the Olympian, Australian Olympian. He um, he knew what we were up to as well. So that's I think I might have scored that that invitation. Anyway, we got to sit down and you know Joe Gamble, uh, Chris and Matt Liedo, uh Heather Jackson, just into the sport. Like, you know, there was some pretty decent talent there. And of course, Leslie Patterson, if you don't know who she is, uh, not only is she a world champion, uh, Xterra, I want to say Xterra, Kevin? Yeah, to- yep. three-time uh, three Xterra, uh, three-time Xterra, two-time world, uh, what is it? The World Cross Triathlon Championships. Yep, yep. Uh, she's just written a little movie uh, with someone else. And she's co-screen written a little movie, which you might or may not have seen, called All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, and it's going quite gangbusters, I believe. Yeah. It's, so, she, uh, oh boy, now I'm not going to remember. Eight or nine Oscars, nine Oscars. Um, but she didn't just do this. Um, yeah, I had a great interview uh, with her, myself, and uh, Ben Sm- Ben Snyder McGrath from the magazine interviewed her a few weeks ago. I think it was the day after the um, announcement. Um, and she, like, just nutty busy. Everyone and their mother's uncle wanted to interview her. And uh, she graciously uh, took a bit of time to, to chat with us, which was uh, awesome. And, um, 
Yeah, so nine Oscars, but this has been a long story. So she and uh, her writing partner, Ian Stokel, um, not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, they purchased the rights to All Quiet on the Western Front in 2006. Um, and it wasn't until I think they produced it, uh, did the movie in 2020, so 14 years. Um, they were just hanging on, hoping that someone was going to make this thing. Um, and she tells it like some great stories. Like, um, she ha was down at an Xterra race, I believe it was somewhere in the Caribbean, uh, you know, one of the islands. And she basically had to win it to get enough money to pay the rights fee for that year. Otherwise they were going to lose it, you know, just you know, hanging on for dear life. So Really cool that they've been uh, nominated and, and are doing so well. I watched it uh, the other day, actually. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's full on. It's really full on. It's really gritty. Um, but, yeah, I mean, such a cool thing to have that level of diversity, world championships and stuff aside. She is a really lovely person, too. I can remember uh, Scottish accent, um, you know, me being Australian. I had to give a crap about that because that's what we do. Um <laughs> Well, yeah. it's a thick Scottish accent. Oh mm. my goodness! Still, after all these years of being, I think she uh, did um, went to um, acting school, drama school in California. She's been down there, but like her accent is so thick. Uh, yeah. It's great. I love it. I'm yeah. with you. We love her accent 100. percent Flat out, she was a badass. Um, what a camp that was, though, Kevin. Um, we went down there, and I. I there was a dude there from the, I want to say the LA times or one of those papers. And we went down there and they sort of said to us, look, you can come down and have a swim session on the beach with the team and stuff like that. And that was pretty cool. Um, we did some relay races and just goofed off. It was all promotional, but the LA times guy was doing calisthenics on the beach. And I have not fucking a clue what he was doing by way of warm up, but it was full knee bends and, like he was going full like Jackie Chan when he was warming up. It was the most bizarre thing. I can just remember the athletes standing there trying to all be nice, you know, because that's a PR thing. But this guy, holy moly, um, <laughs> I whipped my phone out and filmed him. And I reckon if I went back through the archives, I would have footage of this, Kevin, this guy doing just the weirdest shit you've ever seen on the beach by way of warm-up. Anyway, that's what I took from that trip. Nothing about the team. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure K-Swiss really appreciated it. That's probably why uh, the team doesn't exist anymore, because you weren't paying enough attention to the team. All you cared about was some dude doing calisthenics. One of the guys on the trip told us that they actually, on the first part of the K-Swiss journey, they actually rebadged some shoes. Like they grabbed Nikes or something like that and rebadged them um, and put uh, K-Swiss logos and stuff on them. And they weren't K-Swiss. Oh, that's, yeah. I, so I remember um, many of us sort of sitting there and just thinking, he, I don't know how this all works. They're putting a ton of money um, like when they went in, they went all in, right? Like they, uh, they uh, were an Ironman sponsor. Uh, they had the big team. They were doing monster. Do you remember the monstrous displays they yep. did in Kona? They were all in. Um, and uh, it was great, but it just, uh, you know, I think it was um, 
it's a it's a tough market to get into when you're competing against the Nikes and uh, I don't know Hoka wasn't as big back then, but it certainly would have been uh, in the mix and Saucony and Adidas and um, who am I missing here? I'm sure there's uh, tons of people. Well, I guess Under Armour eventually sort of slid in. They were starting to get into the the mix in and around that time. So, yeah, a bunch of big players and uh, K Swiss eventually moved on out but yeah that team for a while was uh, was very cool yeah and they were super um into the pr and the whole setup and they got a bunch of really nice people involved and some pretty ambitious people but I, i've heard of it before here in australian rules football um obviously it's a, not it's not a world sport but it's certainly big here there's billion dollar tv rights and stuff so we're talking significant uh, television time and and one of my friends years, years ago his father was um, property steward at a club which meant he looked after all the players footwear and you know their gear and everything else and he showed me too like it was a pair of Nike football boots that had three stripes sewn over the top of the swoosh and the swoosh was blacked out um, which was wild to see because obviously um, Adidas or Adidas, as the North Americans say, um, you know, putting stripes over things. It was wild to look at it, you know, that, that people were doing that and that if you were standing in the grandstands, you would assume that that was a Adidas or a, a Adidas, as we call it here. Um, it was, an, you know, a piece of footwear from that company, but underneath was actually a swoosh. Well, and we, we saw that tons of times when Nike were the first out with the carbon plate shoes and, and everyone was desperate to do that. You know, people literally breaking their contracts to to be able to run in those and, you know, trying to cover stuff up. Uh, yeah, you know, it's absolutely happened. And, and um, since uh, Adidas that I call it and Adidas, as you call it, is actually named after Adi Dassler. I'm very sad to have to say that you are probably pronouncing it correctly and I am probably mispronouncing it, but I'm going to just keep going because it's 4.50 in the morning now for me now and I'm still cranky. <laughs> but you guys, North Americans, you say all sorts of stuff messed up. Like who's ever swum around a buoy? Give me a spell. It's a boy. <laughs> People make fun of the way I say because I say a boy. Um, they're like, you know, that's the Americans all are on me on that one. Americans, are off. Uh, let's move off. Um, the PTO world rankings. This was something we sort of gave a little bit of a teaser last week. Uh, Kevin, the PTO world rankings are up and about. Now you are across this in all things. Now, if I'm just sitting there as a regular Joe or, uh, you know, having a coffee, listening to this or doing what you ever you do when you listen to us. Why is this important? Like what that makes this worth news? Yeah. So, you know, I, as I wrote in my story, I'm ultimately what makes all of this important is that the vision is to get the big name pros racing against each other more often. And I feel like that's something I hear almost every week from a certain um, Aussie commentator who's like, yeah. These guys need to race against each other more. We need to have, you know, world championship. It shouldn't just be at the world championship that we see them all. So that is the vision. And that's why all this should happen. I just wish, like, you know, I did, I did the quote unquote simple version. I promise not to do a deep dive into it all. 
and it still took me a thousand words to try and explain it. Like it's, I don't understand why it's so freaking complicated. Pardon my language. Like, oh my goodness. Um, it, it's, you know, to me, there's still a little bit of the pros wanting the best of both worlds um, to sort of, you know, with, with all of the stuff here. Um, but I do applaud at the end of the day, like, you know, I, I, I'm not happy that it is as complicated as it is. And I want to follow up with um, one of the folks on the committee, Jackson Laundry. Hopefully we're going to catch up with him to get a little more insight. But um, yeah, it, so at the end of the day, awesome that we're going to hopefully um, see the big names racing against each other more because that's how this whole thing, you've got a tiered system of races now. Um, the quali quality of the field makes a huge difference. Um, and, uh, then the nice thing too, is that, um, the positions are rewarded. So in the old system, it was kind of racing, you were racing against this ideal time, um, as a huge part of your, uh, your, your score. Uh, and now that's kind of been thrown out. So there, there isn't that question mark of how this ideal time comes up and the algorithm for that and, and all of that, um, so, you know, uh, Torsten Roddy, um, he has this AIT, this uh, ideal, basically the ideal time um, thing. And I it did a great job. I think it was a fantastic way of doing stuff during the pandemic, right? When, when we were trying to compare um, Ellie Salthouse having a race against a bunch of Aussies uh, down in Australia and Jackson Laundrie having a race against a bunch of Canadians um, here and you know, people really couldn't compete. I think that system worked great. But now that we're back to um, hopefully the real world of people racing against each other, this makes yep. a lot more sense. So, but in essence then, so tell us like in essence, so does, where do they rank? The big races are ranked similarly. Is that how it works? Yeah. So um, there are five tiers um, starting with diamond. Uh, so diamond is over 500 grand in prize money. So you're looking at the, um, PTO events. You're looking at Ironman world championship. Uh, and I think that's it. Um, and then, uh, then the next one down, I can't remember. Uh, it's not gold. Uh, I can't remember what the next one down is. Anyway, I, like that one will include Roth, um, 70.3 Worlds, um, some of those other events. So, um, and, and the other thing that I like about this is it rewards the PTO events. Um, this is the PTO Tour. It's co-owned by the pros. Um, and the prize money at those events was huge. So, to me, um, like we should have the best athletes at the million dollar races because there aren't a lot of them in our sport. So, um, so yeah, the five tiers. And so you start with that diamond, you go all the way down to bronze, which is $10,000 to $25,000 uh, in prize money. Um, and then your, you kind of, your base points are highest at diamond, 100 points for the win there. And you get 70 points for the bronze. So um, so the, the system totally makes sense 
on that front. Um, like I really like that that kind of tiered system. Um, then the the strength of field stuff gets a little kind of confusing, um, but it's actually not even that hard to figure out. Um, basically, the strength of field is uh, the top five athletes in the standing. It's their average ranking. Um, and so then you come up with a strength of field score. So like at the Ironman World Championship or uh, the Collins Cup, I, I, I don't know how the points work for the Collins Cup. Uh, anyway, the, you know, the big races, that's going to be the highest as well. So uh, basically you're getting the most points for those, uh, those big, big events with lots of prize money. And well, on that then, um, what does Ironman make of all this? Yeah, really good question. I have uh, no, I, you know, to be honest, that's a great question. I would love to ask Andrew Messick um, how he feels about all of this. Initially, I got the feeling that um, Andrew really saw the PTO as uh, competition and, and all that. Um, I think they're definitely warming to each other. Like Andrew talked about the PTO at the Ironman uh, World Championship press conference. Uh, last year and talked about how, you know, they're bringing tons of prize money to to the sport. And so I think ultimately, he kind of figures, my guess is he probably thinks, yeah, if the pros can get their money from this, that's great. I don't think he needs to worry. Um, uh, you know, people, people still want to go to that world championship. We've talked till we're blue in the face about how everyone wants to go to Kona, right? Um, and that's where the big money still is. I would, I think for a lot of folks in terms of appearance fees and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and then at the end of the day, you know, Iron Man didn't put nearly as much or not nearly. So Iron Man, I think put in what about 4.7 million of prize money. The PTO did five and a half million in prize money last year. Right. So you know, maybe this means Iron Man doesn't have to fork out so much money on the prize front. Yeah, and you would have thought too that if the Iron Man were that keen on getting involved in something like this, they would have done it. Well, I think the Iron Man is sitting on the outside, like many of us, um, wondering how this all works um, in terms of, you know, the PTO is uh, based on having a bunch of major events and then basically. Um, the the live coverage of it, um, and you and I both know how you know the, how challenging it is to uh, make money from from coverage of the events. Um, Iron Man's never been able to figure out figure it out. They they spend they used to spend a million dollars. I have no idea how much it costs them to have their um, hour and a half long show uh, on NBC uh, these days. Um, so many of us are trying to figure that out, but they seem to be getting more and more investors. Um, and there seems to be more money coming in. So they figured something out, uh, that is making all of this work, which is awesome. Yeah. Well, that's again, I mean, gotta, gotta hand it to the, the PTO, right? Like they they're trying to bring the sport into, and it's it must be incredibly hard, like the waiting the races and waiting fields and things like that. I, I don't know, I don't know about that. I, I I get what they're doing, but I tend to think too though that if you know build it and they will come, right? So put 
a, a field together or put a good race together, put some prize money in it, and then you know um, you can't. If you win that, you are you then sort of downgraded because it wasn't such a hot field. Uh, well, it, it depends. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I'm dying to. Uh, I, I think at some point I'll have a chance to interview Chris Kermode, who's the executive chairman of um, of the PTO, um, and he's a former. Like he used to be the president of the ATP Association of Tennis Professionals, and um, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward. I, I hope that I will have a chance to ask him some questions, but from what I have heard, um, he is really pushing for a similar scenario to the, um, you know, association of tennis professionals, um, in terms of the setup. And so I think where the PTO is going is we're going to just see more events, more and more events. And, uh, the, you know, the kind of the push to get, the athletes competing against each other. And, and, you know, I think the ATP does a great job. You've got your four majors and then they have those as a P1000 events or whatever that the, you know, if you're in the top 10, you have to race us or not, you have to compete at a certain number of those. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I like so many of my hesitations about the PTO are disappearing as we're starting to see more of this happen. So, you know, it seems that obviously, they're, sorry, they're here to stay, aren't they? I mean, like this, we, when they first joined again, you know, we were, I think we were skeptical, um, like yep. everybody, because we've seen it all before, but these guys seem, you know, year on year, they are developing and year on year, they're pushing and year on year, they're trying to create something better in the sport. They keep hiring the, what would seem to be the right people. They keep engaging athletes and making, you know, them accountable and, you know, giving that agency to those uh, to those athletes, which is clearly important, right? They've got to be stakeholders in this. So I, you know, it's hard to think that the PTO is doing anything other than enhancing the sport. I mean, it looks vastly different to what it did ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Absolutely. Oh, like well, you know, we talked about the prize money uh, last week. Um, huge. The PTO has just. Um, been a game changer on that front and and yeah you know i think uh you know we were all quite skeptical and um i'm still not 100 percent convinced that uh it will all make it there but um it is getting harder and harder and harder to make the arguments against it um i don't think they're making money um yet from these things but i think stuff is getting put in place um for that to happen and they've got investors who are you know ready to wait and put the money to make it all happen and so yeah really exciting i think on that front certainly is so that's our pto rankings and kevin the other big announcement during the week was of course the women's field for roth and we made the last podcast they were still just holding it out but it seems now that uh, Roth is going to be a uh, quite the setup. So I'm waiting for you to say, but you know, every year Roth has like well, we that's all the time, but this <laughs> game changer field or what stacked field, and uh, but <clears throat> you know, <laughs> we are sort of joking about that with the men's field, which is strong, but uh, they really pulled out all the stops. Um, yeah, I, I'd love to see the appearance feed budget here. So 
Um, you've got, um, so what do all of these women have in common? Daniela Reef, Annie Haug, and Chelsea Sodaro. Um, yeah, Kona. Yep, all of your Kona champions since 2015 um, are all uh, racing against each other there. Uh, then you've got, you know, so like this is what's hilarious, right? Laura Phillip uh, rolls in and will probably struggle to get a whole lot of attention compared to those guys. Um, you know, last year she went 818, thir- uh, or sorry, 818.20 at Ironman Hamburg. She beat Chelsea Sodaro. Now it was uh, Chelsea's first uh, Ironman or first full distance race, and uh, she was under orders to just cruise through the run and, and not do anything silly. So, um, so, you know, not a whole lot to take out of that, but yeah, just those four alone make for uh, sort of some craziness uh, right there. Yeah. And it, look, I know they say it every year we get that, but they might've actually pulled one off you. Yes. Uh, like in, it, it's hard to, yeah, it, it's really hard to um, not pin that this field up against, you know, what we're going to see in Kona in October, right? And, um, you know, that you have the, for them, the advantage of, yes, Roth is a big deal and stuff, but it's not the pressure cooker of Kona. Um, and you've got the, um, the immediate out of, yeah, it's not... You know, I'm peaking for October, so um, I think I think it's going to be just a gangbuster race. I'm I'm sort of I've been tearing myself apart because uh, trying to figure out uh, that's the same weekend as uh, WTCS Montreal, so you know the biggest uh, world triathlon event that's going to happen in Canada um, that same weekend. And um, I am Canadian, so I sort of feel like I should be covering that, but really want to be over in Roth as well. So this is uh, not a not a fun one to have to try and figure out. Oh, poor you. Where should I be? Exotic place one, <laughs> exotic place two, watching cool athletes. I mean, it's tough, Kevin. Hang in there, buddy. Thoughts and hey, prayers some, for all of us here. Somebody's got to do it. Hey, you know, you don't seem to be. So, uh, you know, so one of us has to take this, uh, take this on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Now, also, Kevin, uh, we've got some, I guess, a little bit of uh, running royalty starting to just sneak their way into the triathlon world. Yeah, so interesting story. And, and like I, I sort of felt awful that I wasn't super familiar with Colleen Quigley um, and, uh, and, and I'm really annoyed at myself since uh, when I ran back in the dark ages of time before I became a triathlete, I uh, actually ran steeplechase on the, on the track. So, um, so uh, I should really have known more about Colleen Quigley, who um, you know, went to the Olympics in, in the steeplechase, um, is a world record holder in the four by 1500 meter relay. Uh, she was part of the Bowerman and uh, Nike program, and and uh, is now like the uh, the face of the running and yoga brand Lululemon. Uh, she's a former model, like as I said, basically in high school, um, she used to travel the world with her parents as a model, and then focused on running. Uh, just an amazing story, and 
She um, had a bunch of injuries 2021 and 2022. She'd uh, always swum when she had been injured in years past and uh, jumped on the bike for the last couple of years and decided she was going to give triathlon a shot and won uh, this uh, development race down in the, down in the States. So um, we have yet another runner uh, turning into uh, quite a triathlete. The Americans are really good at uh, developing this this sort of uh, pathway to, uh, you know, high-level triathlon. So tell me about this, though. So, like, I get it, too. And she seems like an underachiever, Colleen Quigley, at 31. She's a, yeah, she hasn't done enough. Um, <laughs> seems like a real underachiever with what's going on with her. Well, yeah, um, you know, compared to you Aussies, it, it's, you know, yeah, just, of course, she wouldn't quite rank up, but. No. So tell me though, like, what's the appeal? So running is so competitive, I guess, uh, and with you know anybody, anybody can can be running at that level. There's a bigger population doing it. I should say that. So anyone can do it. Second part, I guess, too. Not everyone can swim and ride a bike, and that's a skill. Um, riding a bike in uh, world triathlon races is incredibly complex and incredibly hard. Um, it would seem like you'd need to learn a couple of more skills. Of course, the running we know, but you can't make up three minutes, four minutes. Flora Duffy's off the front and you're not as good, you know, swimming and, and you know, what, what do you think the motivation is? Uh, for Colleen Quigley, I think it's just, hey, it's probably the same. it was the same thing that got me into the sport way back when. Um, and I make quickly 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 make no reference that i was ever in the same ballpark as a colleen quigley but you know just got injured and i ended up having to do a ton of biking and swimming and thought i'm going to go give this triathlon thing a shot i think that's exactly what she's doing but and and now it sounds like she's on her way back to trying to qualify for uh the paris games in the steeplechase um and just you know keeping that triathlon door open um, for, you know, possibly after the fact when it's, uh, time to try something new. Right. So I get the impression from her that, uh, she's like probably one of these people who likes to keep herself busy and, uh, you know, have, have, you know, something to look forward to. And yeah. my guess is that triathlon is, is, you know, something to look at in the fall of 2024 and, and from there on. I, of course, we saw Gwen Jorgensen make the switch from uh, gold medalist to runner, and then now she's back as well. That's an interesting scenario for the sport because, you know, she hasn't been exactly sitting around for the last few years. No, no, you know, Gwen Jorgensen ran a bunch of PBs and, and, uh, certainly, you know, put herself in the picture on the running front. It was, yeah, it was just really too bad that she had um, so many injury issues because, uh, yeah, it would have been really fun to see her be able to pursue that marathon thing a bit more. But, um, hey, as a triathlon fan, I am way more <laughs> excited that she's um, making a run back uh, at the Paris Games next year. I think um, uh, that'll be really exciting to see if she can make that and she starts her comeback uh down in your neck of the woods uh taupo new zealand you know they have a few they have a few races uh in that little town i think um 
And uh, she, yeah, I think that's February 25th. She makes uh, her uh, first uh, comeback triathlon race. So that'll be really fun to watch. Yeah, I, uh, how's she going to go in? I mean, in the Olympics. I mean, obviously the pedigree is ridiculous. She dominated the sport. She left while she she was Jerry Seinfeld. She left while she's on top. Yep. Um, and now you know she's uh, bit. She's back in town trying to trying to have a, an, another shot. How do you think she goes? Um, has when you step out of a sport like that, and, and as I said, she wasn't sitting around for the last few years. She was you know running at an elite level. But has the sport moved forward, and and you know does that mean she has to, or can she catch up? So here's what's really interesting to me. Um, uh, you're asking a very good question. Um, and here's, I, so here's what was very interesting to me when I did the interview, um, you know, Gwen was, uh, Gwen, um, and her team, uh, Patrick, her husband, um, really nicely, uh, sort of gave triathlon magazine these, the inside scoop on her comeback. So, uh, I got to talk to her, um, like first off the bat basically, and her initial motivation was for the mixed team relay. That was what um, she really wanted to come back for. Um, and, you know, she wants to be part of a gold medal U.S. team in the mixed team relay. Um, now, she has to do the individual race to be able to do that. So I think initially she was like, yeah, I want to just go to the mixed relay. Uh, and then found out, uh oh, I have to do the individual. And I think ultimately, that is going to help her. Um, she's going to be, you know, focused on being nutty fast and working all on all that stuff. So um, I think that's going to be really helpful um, because, yes, the sport, well, it was already, you know, Flora Duffy uh, beat her in 2016 at the World Championships, right? So she is full, fully aware of the Flory Duffy, Flora Duffy phenomenon of, you know, hammering off the front and all that stuff. Um, and, she, you know, she went into the Olympic Games in Rio with everybody, you know, the, the one and only goal of pretty much the entire field was to somehow drop Gwen on the bike. So she knows how that whole game works. Um, my guess is, uh, come, you know, she's going to be super focused on getting strong on the bike. Um, she's a, you know, a decent swimmer. And, um, so it's all going to come down to, um, can people drop her on the bike? She's going to be doing tons of work. And that to me is what we're going to have to see over this year. Um, does she get the strength on the bike to be able to, um, jump into those lead groups with uh, the Flora Duffies of the world. And then what gets interesting then is can Flora Duffy figure out how to take enough out of Gwen Jorgensen's legs on the bike to be able to hold her off. So um, yeah, just another interesting mix. And then you also have the big question, can she come back in time? You know, she had a baby last October, um, I think it was. So, um, you know, that's, that's a, a tough ask, um, to be race ready. Cause she's going to have to try and make this Olympic team, um, in early, my guess is early, uh, April or May of next year. So, 
that's a big comeback over a short period of time. Yeah, there's a lot to do, isn't there? And a lot of racing and, you know, getting back into it. But, you know, <laughs> you leave the sport on the, the level she left it, you would have to think that there's, um, you know, that these sorts of people, as you said, they're really driven and they're super organized and they know what it takes. And they're not just wandering around going, you know, we're going to come back because she'd be aware of, of the reputation she has. She'd be aware of how, um, you know, she used to strike fear into athletes' hearts when she would show up to a race, really fear. Um, and she, I would imagine you'd want that back. You'd want that feeling back. But the sport moves incredibly quick. And those uh, those two programs, the British and the American programs, are miles ahead of everyone. I don't even begin to think that there's um, anyone at the moment who can touch them. Yeah, well, you, know, you have uh, obviously Flora from uh, Bermuda, but uh, you know, lives in the states and went to college in the states and all um, all that stuff. So, yet another athlete who has been um, has been helped by what all happens in the United States. Right. But yeah, it's, it's, it is absolutely crazy that how hard it is to make the British Olympic team in triathlon, if you're a woman and same deal um, uh, on the U S side, and, you know, that, that could be, um, that could be, uh, who am I trying to say here? Uh, Gwen Jorgensen's biggest challenge uh, is just, you know, making that U S team. So uh, and the only other thing I wanted to say is, you know, I, I, I've been talking about coming back from pregnancy. Nicholas Spirig managed to do that just fine. Um, so we have lots of precedent for um, women coming back after pregnancy and doing super well at the Olympics. So uh, Gwen Jorgensen is in some good company on that front. Yeah, 100%. Arena games, man, like... I don't know. Are we like, what are we doing here? Are we into it? Are we not? What is it? What is it? Yeah. You know, they, they, they've got, um, well, it's just Montreal. I, I, I just, um, I will be fascinated. I'm going to be heading down there, uh, not this weekend, but the following weekend. And I'm looking forward to, uh, casing it all out, but, um, it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of excitement on the European front. We're not getting uh, too, too many of the big names. And, you know, it's going to be fascinating to watch Lionel Sanders. He uh, promises that he's going to push himself to where he's vomiting um, after each of the, uh, each of the three races. Um, and you know, what's scary is no one is actually surprised to hear that. They can totally picture that happening. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm wondering, I feel, I, I'm, I'm hopeful for the organizers. It's the same crew that does the WTCS race in Montreal. Um, and I applaud them for, um, you know, sort of bringing this event and trying to, you know, keep bringing big time events to Canada and to Montreal. But uh, I feel like this one's a struggle. Yeah, I, I don't know, mate. I, I think with this sort of stuff, it was great when it had a purpose. I just think that there is there is a lot of offerings. There are a lot of offerings in the world, isn't there? In, you know, athletically speaking, and this one is. Um, I mean, I'll be interested. You're going to be there on the ground. Your take will be, you know, better than anyone's because you're actually in there watching uh, and seeing crowd wise and things like that. It's going to be a, um, yeah, it'll be an interesting uh, perspective from your good self. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And and. Uh... 
as we, as we, yeah, I think it's going to be now just uh, sit and wait and see and um, hope that, uh, that we can generate some interest in the sport and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's been a challenge here in Canada. You know, the, the folks in Edmonton and Montreal have been working hard for a long time um, to, uh, to try and get these events here and get people excited. And unfortunately, we are very much in a ball and puck environment in this country. If triathletes could do swim, bike, bounce ball, we'd be all over it. But um, the arena stuff too is... Um, I guess obviously they want to try and contain it. They want to try and make it like that, you know, that arena experience. But um, it's just, you really are pushing um, uphill, aren't you? With I guess people wanting to accept it, or the fact that it just doesn't lend itself that well to to that sort of viewing. I think you know it's one thing to try and use a racetrack for it, but you know, sticking everything inside is is also just. I don't know. It doesn't have that CrossFit feel about it either. Like some of those other things, which I, I actually sometimes watch, you know, those CrossFit games and stuff. Those guys are mental. Um, I don't know if it's going to have the same pull. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's just, you do have people, they're on a stationary bike and an, and on a treadmill, right? Um, so it, it, I, I'm, I'm sort of, I wonder how much you know it feels to people like they're you know just watching watching a video game, right? Um, now you know I'm talking about all of this about spectators coming and watching. This will probably have a huge worldwide audience, right? And uh, the Super League folks, you and I have both said they do a great job on the on the television coverage. Um, this is a Super League product, so. Um, at the end of the day, that's probably way more important to them is, is making sure that there's a big TV show and lots of people are watching, right? I'm not sure. I'll be honest with you, mate. I, I don't know if it's actually got a big TV audience at all. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, the, the field, uh, the, you know, the highest ranked world triathlon person, I think is Jan- Jack Stanton Stock from Great Britain. Um, you know, Lionel Sanders, Jackson Laundry, Henry Schumann uh, is in the mix, which is awesome. You know, the bronze medalist from 2016 Olympic Games. Mm. Um, and then we've got, uh, you know, a bunch of Canadians. It's a great opportunity for some of the Canadians. But, um, yeah, so it, it, it's you're not getting any of the the uh, the big names from over in Europe. I'm sure they're all at, uh, at training camps, right? Uh, Gina Sereno uh, from the U.S. I think is like the highest. Oh, Gina. Oh, yeah. Um, she's the highest ranked uh, world triathlon person, I believe. And then uh, Jeannie Metzler, um, bronze or silver medalist, I think, at the uh, 70.3 Worlds in 2021. Um, you know, probably Jeannie's uh, biggest result. Uh, and then again, you know, great opportunity for some Canadians, but yeah, you're just not getting any of the, um, of the big names over here at this point. So I think that's, uh, that's too bad. It's, um, I I wish that they'd been able to sort of coordinate some of that. Well, again, it's, you got to give it a go, but I'm not confident with it. And 
I'm not sure I'll be tuning in, Kevin. I'll uh, I'll give it a bit of a look, I think. But um, you know, it's just be- wait for my my recap story. There you go, which I'm I'm hopefully managing to pawn off. I've got a couple of writers, uh, Lorene Pandera and uh, David Gutnick, who have volunteered to help me out on the coverage. So um, they're amazing. Um, so definitely, we are uh, batting up. Um, uh, with having those guys to help me out with the coverage and I'm going to hopefully take photos and we will have a grand old time. And then that way you won't have to watch any of it. You can just come to triathlon magazine and check it all out. That's exactly where we go every week, Kevin, because it is the best resource on the planet for all things triathlon. And you are the doyen of all things triathlon as well, my friend. That's 45 minutes worth of gold from your good self today and me. Uh, love your work. And Kevin will be waiting with bated breath to hear what the arena games look like uh, as we circle back in uh, a few days' time. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much, Phil. As always, great chatting with you. And uh, I'm feeling considerably more awake now. So <laughs> off I go. Off go to coach some swimming. I'm going to go and uh, do what I do this time of night. And uh, Kevin, uh, you can catch us next week uh you can catch kevin at uh, triathlon magazine and that's the one that is located in the beautiful confines of canada uh thanks for listening wherever you are and uh, we'll catch you in a week's time thanks for listening to the life of try if you like us tell your mates and follow us on instagram at the life of try <laughs>